maybe it's for customers or maybe it's for your mm-hmm. shareholders. In my case, because I'm in a corporation that's hierarchical, it was for my manager. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. for the whole business area he oversees, all my parts are strategies for growing his stuff. What are the metrics I hear him talking about the most? So I anchored creating a funnel in like the metrics he created the most. And I thought about how do My guest today is Ed Essay. Ed helps entrepreneurs have, test, and grow brilliant ideas in the Microsoft Garage. He's an MIT grad, serial founder, and veteran product leader who is passionate about technology, creating great culture, and innovation through experimentation. During his engineering career, Ed has researched AI, worked on Microsoft Office, and democratized parallel computing. He has led company-wide change management programs in innovation, design thinking, and agile methodologies that have helped over 25,000 employees earn raving fans for their products. Ed founded the Garage Experimental Outlet that has delivered over 150 new and exciting projects to market. Ed practices mindfulness to bring his most courageous and caring self to every connection. Every interaction I had with Ed is living proof of this. He champions wise technology, because the best products cannot stop at intelligence. They need wisdom. Ed lives in Seattle with his two children. To find out more about Ed, please visit edessay.com to read his articles on innovation, incubation, and growth. Welcome to the show, Ed. Let's start off. I just want to simply ask you to start off the podcast today, and maybe this is the start to a new tradition. See how it works out. Like, What is innovation? To you. Oh my gosh, the the big the big I word. Um, I you know there there are lots of different <laughs> there are lots of different answers to this, and uh, one of the big distinctions I've seen in recent years is separating invention from innovation. Uh, but I think it's worth talking about both because invention is the act of like creating something new, uh, creating something new, typically that solves a problem. I think innovation is maybe taking something new or taking a new approach to something and following it all the way through until a problem is solved. So it's the entire ecosystem that exists around that creativity. While we're talking about ecosystem, I'll I'll share something that I found pretty common. So I, in my role, I get to meet a lot of people who have innovation in their titles, that uh, that they are leading some type of innovation effort. And one time I was working with this group of folks that were innovation leaders from all over uh, Canada, and they were visiting me where I work in the Microsoft garage. And I was explaining how the Microsoft garage works. Though they kept asking questions and I'm like, I'm like, that's different than how I was just explaining it works and they're not really relevant. And then I came to realize that for some people, they view innovation as if it is a fruit or a verb, as in please create for me an innovation. And that's usually because the organization that they're in has said, I need for you to create an innovation. So create for me a fruit that I could take to market and sell. Mm -hmm. Now, other people are asked to create innovation as if it's a verb or more of a program, or I think of it as a tree. Uh, So 
if somewhere has to create a fruit that I could take to market and sell, other has, are asked to create a tree that regularly produces these fruit that we could take to market and sell. Though I, where I am in the Microsoft garage, uh, we view innovation more as culture. So it's more like soil. So it's soil that trees can grow in that could produce fruit and that we could take to market and sell. And there are a few things I like about this approach. One is that uh, it has a lot of patience built in for it, like built into it. Like when you take the approach that uh, we're creating a culture of innovation, you're saying like, hey, look, you're not under a particular deadline to, to hit these things. And that actually frees people up uh, to be in different kinds of mentality that allow innovation to take place. Uh, it also create starts creating an ecosystem. So trees can trees can grow, fruit can be created. If projects fail, well, that actually just becomes fertilizer that improves nice. the soil and improves the culture. And there's like an anti-fragile effect to it. And the third thing I love about, about this is it no longer makes a particular person or organization in charge of innovation. It instead takes the approach that everybody is responsible for innovation and innovation of all different kinds. And that is really an amazing spot to be in as a company where you see innovation uh, not only see it, but are expecting it to happen in in every corner. And that allows the best of everybody in the company to shine. Thank you. Yeah, that that is an amazing picture <clears throat> you're using there. The how the falling fruit, the falling apple becomes fertilizer, retained insights, knowledge, uh different behavior change along the way. And that's that's a fantastic picture. Well, and it's so important because if you think about trying to create organizational ambidexterity, which is to be able to relentlessly execute unknown businesses on one hand, and then on the other hand, to be able to create uh, entirely new businesses, which is uh, true in a in a large organization like, like I'm in. Uh, so... If you're trying to do both of these things like on one hand and on the other, it is it is important to on each hand, there are different things that you need to to look out for. So for instance, uh, for large organizations, they get really used to uh, you know relentlessly executing unknown business models. Things can't you you shouldn't fail at your biggest business models in a company. On the things that are keeping the company alive, failure would be a bad thing. Like the the entire company, everybody who depends on the company, the stakeholders, the shareholders, the customers, the users, like the people who work in the company, they would all be put out if a big business like kind of tanks out of the blue. That said, when you're trying to create new business models, you have to try new things and try wild new things. And Failure is only when you're, or I, I sort of look at it like there are two types of two types of wins. When you invest in something that you should, because the market shows you that you should for that definition of should. 
And when you don't invest in something when you shouldn't, those are wins. Uh, when you don't invest in something that you should have invested in, that's a miss. Hmm. Uh, and when you do invest in something you shouldn't, that's waste. So those are the failures in the case of like exploring new businesses. Uh, and but it's a totally different feeling than on relentlessly executing on on new businesses. So you need to have those second kinds of wins. Uh, what I've heard folks at Caterpillar called type two wins, which is when you are not investing in the things you should not invest in because there's no market for it or because the alignment's right. You need to have those. You need to have those failures that you've learned through experimentation and learning. And those are the fruits that are dropping down, increasing the soil, because then your culture sees that, hey, there are rewards for making data-based decisions and experimental-based decisions to not invest in those ideas that weren't going to go anywhere. And that gets more people to take risks. And that allows uh, corporations to innovate more uh, because not everybody is holding back and being safe. So you need to have the fruits falling and and creating and supporting that culture. I really like how you have your own language to this problem. I really like that. Yeah. So the second question I would like to ask you and maybe everybody else from now on is how to measure innovation. How should we measure innovation? And whatever that means, again, what, what does that mean for you? I don't want to prompt too much. Yeah. How? That's the easy one. Yeah. Yeah. How? how to measure, how should we measure? You know, I realized I was using the word should. Uh, that's one of those words you always have to be careful with because it can be triggering to a, a lot of people. And so I, I know I have to be careful with it. So let's, the, like, let's define should. Like, and I think it comes to what is the definition of should that you have? Like, it is about maximizing for something. Like, that's what should is about, right? It is nice. about trying to maximize for something. So what is it, you know, you're trying to maximize for? Um, and I'll think, you know, how we met, uh, at least how we met more deeply, I think we've met before uh, at the at a Lean Startup Conference, but... I think we did not. We never met at one of no, the Lean Startup No, no, I, I don't know. Because I didn't go there. Like, I didn't go there. And I think we've spoken about... I think we... You didn't go to the Vegas one? No. And you didn't go to the PFA one in San Francisco? I wish. I wish. I'm, no, a, I'm okay. the big I'm the biggest disciple, but I didn't I didn't were, go. Were you one of the like faculty? No, we no, we, we met during we met we just met recently in in, in Flash um well virtually. Yeah, yeah, vir yeah virtually. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, at, uh, in Flash. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we met in okay, then we met in the innovation accounting workshop. Um which, by the way, I've been trying to figure out the innovation accounting thing for a while. And I, I remember I met Tristan. I came up, I'm like, how does innovation accounting work? Because Eric put it in the lean startup and almost didn't cover anything in it. So I was trying to figure this out. And I, I met James Birchler, who was uh, who is one of the, uh, you know, he, he was a, the VP of engineering at MVU. 
one of Eric Ries's first startups. And I was like, how does it like, how does innovation economy work? And he's like, he's talking a little bit. He's like, you got to talk to Eric. And I'm like, okay. So like he introduced me to Eric and I meet Eric over brunch and I ask him, he's like, he's like, wow, nobody wants to talk about that. And he's like, everybody wants to talk about build, measure, learn and AB tests. He's like, cause those are like the, you know, like the quote unquote sexy parts of the lean startup, but nobody wants to talk about innovation accounting. Yeah. And then I found Tristan and I started asking him about it and he didn't have an answer. And then I guess he went off like working on it for a while. A lot of people went off working on it. And then he comes back with like a course and an answer. I'm like, I've got to take it. And like, and you're on it and you've been thinking about it. I'm like, yes. And I know there's like the innovation colony approach or so on. So anyway, what to measure. So can, can um, I can I budge in for a second there? Yeah, yeah. Like I think I have this theory that Eric had some sort of hunch. Or like I know it's there. Let's figure it out together. Um yeah, I've got to say, I love like uh do you know the book Lean Analytics? Yeah, it's a fantastic like part of the lean series. So like yeah, I love sure. it. And I like how it breaks it yeah. down into yeah. five phases, and then you have a different metric that matters at each phase. And like I really like mm. Some of the stuff from Dave Benetti, some of it I think is a lot too, um, it, it's too complicated to, uh, for me to evangelize in the corporate environment in which I need to uh, evangelize it, uh, which is not yeah, saying how, that how to use that not, scale. It's just smart how to use and, that scale. and so on. They're yeah, yeah. Super, mm. yeah. like super intelligent, but it needs to be yeah. like, you need, it need, needs to be like quickly grokkable by people like, uh, yeah. to, Take yeah, a, we need to have him on a podcast here. I think it's 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 kind of it's important. Yeah, because okay. he's doing great work, like for sure. So I'll say, like, there's one thing he talks about with the WOM prom score. Like the WOM prom score is key, which is word of mouth over promotional activity. Word of mouth is WOM. Um, your promotional investments is and so on. And he's like, uh the number of people who come in from word of mouth divided by um the number of people who came in from pro promotional activity. Yeah. He's like, that's your one prom score. And with options theory, he shows that basically when that's between 0.4 and 0.6, it's time to scale. So I like to think about that with like that. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, it's probably true for lots of products and services, like for lots. But then again, you know, some don't have virality you know, built in. If that score isn't high, then you then you have a blocker, right? Like, as genius as it is, but I think you have to look at the particular business model and take that. Into yeah, it, it's it's pretty important for like you almost need to have a consumer business and um yeah. or be able to create some proxy of a consumer business uh, in in how you structure. Like you need to be able to have something that can grow like you know, one by one person to person, like, because mm -hmm. selling enterprise business, like enterprise business, like you get, uh, yeah. I know if you create a, my parents know the person who sold, who created the socks for Disney and he made his fortune selling socks for, for Disney. He didn't need to do all that, to do all that stuff. All he had to do was get one customer, right? Disney. And to get a contract okay. with them and then just make socks. And then Disney did all the selling and the channel stuff. And uh, anyway. It's a good one yeah. for sure. For the right product, it's a good one. Yeah. But this gets to like what you should measure. And it's like, well, hmm. 
right? It's you measure what makes most sense for your business. Uh, and you need to figure out where whatever your strategy is or product or whatever that, or your service or whatever it happens to be, like, what is it trying to do? That's the bottom line. And that's, this is like one of the sort of genius things I loved about your course is you spend a lot of time kind of having a soul search and like really understand how what we did applied applied to the business. And so I I came into this from the perspective of here I am, I work at an internal innovation program. And uh, you know, I was just trying to learn your method so I can, you know, teach it to other people and compare it against the other methods that I have. And, you know, you and Tristan had me bring in like something I'm working on that I wanted to grow so that I could experience it firsthand. So I'm like, oh. Uh, one one thing that I do uh, at work, one of the things that I make, how could I think about kind of the innovation accounting for that and growth hacking that? And that's when I realized that's not what I need to model. I need to model my boss's business. And then I view every activity I do for my manager as a strategy to grow his business. And once I did it from that perspective, like, how do I grow the, you know, how do I grow the business for the people I'm most thinking about helping? And maybe it's for my, you know, maybe it's for customers or maybe it's for your Mm -hmm. shareholders. In my case, because I'm in a corporation that's hierarchical, it was for my manager. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. for the whole business area he oversees, all my parts are strategies for growing his stuff. What are the metrics I hear him talking about the most? So I anchored creating a funnel uh, in like the metrics he created the most. And I thought about how do I, oh, some of these he only talks about sometimes, but not others. And he has most of the team working on this. And for me, he talks about this number. And for other people, he talks about this number. So I'm like, well, how do they all chain together? And what are all the things I'm doing? And how do they loop back on each other? And so on. I'm like, that is what I needed to do. Is like, I needed to, model it from the point of view of my manager and all of my work, all of my products and and so on were about the overall strategy of accruing to the metrics I already heard him talking to other people about. Nice. Did you do some further um, like discovery, like customer discovery with your manager afterwards or during the process? Or did you feel confident that you, because you heard it so much that you had it right? Or did you, were you able to further, you know, try to stress test what you did there? Yeah, I did test it with him and I, I brought it to him. I'm like, I think this is the model of the garage. I've heard you say you care about this number. And I've heard you talk, you know, or about this metric, like all the time. You've been talking about this metric since the beginning. He's like, yep. And this is another metric you talk to me about all the time, right? Like, he's like, yep. And then this one we talk about a lot. I think that is the bridging metric between them. He's like, okay, I see. And then I'm like, now if I create a funnel and he's like, well, you're missing that part. I'm like, oh no, that part is a conversion metric. And then I drew all the arrows and he's like, okay, yeah, that's right. I'm like, okay, if you think that's right, then, you know, and basically I'm just drawing it out and on a, you know, with a stylus on, 
on like a, uh, I was doing on a white PowerPoint slide, but it was basically, I was like whiteboarding it out for him. And then once he agreed to it, I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. Here's a spreadsheet and here are all the models and here are all the numbers. And here's where I got this number from and this number from and this number from, and here's how it all pull, pulls in. He's like, oh, okay. And then he was like really fascinated, fascinated by it. And he says, well, what if, or he said, uh, you know, people have been talking about adding, adding this thing to our product and investing here. I said, well, if we do that, look at the numbers. And I, I show him go up, see, no effect on the bottom line. We've only made the top line go up. And the reason is because we have a bottleneck here. So investing in this to... part of the funnel instead of at other parts of the funnel aren't actually going to change the, the two new metrics you care about. They only change the old metric that we cared about for the previous five years. So not, like the first thing that that um, we need to point out, I think should highlight again, you didn't bring the spreadsheet first. You drew it up conceptually and see if you could agree on the high level concept of it. And then you shared the spreadsheet and then you worked on it together in a sense. Mm -hmm. Could you, are you able to tell us a bit like more about that funnel? What is not the bottleneck and what is the bottleneck? Maybe more, can we say that more specifically or? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll get okay. into it. I just kind of, for the listeners, I'm a, man, I don't want to ask inappropriate questions here. Yeah, because I'm talking like very company. abstractly. Yeah, no, that's and that's fine and fair enough. Like, and, you know, and uh, yeah, I don't want to ask questions that should be asked, you know, because it's still your, you know, maybe mm -hmm. a company secret or something. So I don't want to. But can we be more specific? To... I think I could talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking through how do I talk about it without like like what comes into the funnel? Like if I can if that helps. Like what what is on top of the funnel? Yeah. Probably. So like, the top I've, metric of the funnel. I mean, I've got a bit something... of an idea because you know, with like yeah, I'm yeah. Being too far away from it. Although I want to say that Tristan obviously was the person helping you. Um yeah. so what goes into the funnel on top? And where is maybe one bottleneck where you thought maybe where you thought the bottleneck is, or maybe your manager thought the bottleneck was. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. So top of our funnel a metric we worked on for years was number of registered hackers. So we run the world's largest hackathon mm. uh, in terms of uh, having the most hackers, but also in terms of having the most projects, but in order to get to the world's largest hackathon, you get it by focusing on that that number, like having as many people as we can. So registered hackers is the thing we've spent the most time working on. And we spent a lot of strategies to get it there. So that is the top of our funnel, number of registered hackers. And then I know that my manager also cares a lot about business value. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I heard him talk about, uh, we know business value could come from the hackathon. And so I put business value as the bottom of the funnel. So we know registered hackers at the top, business value at the bottom. So mm -hmm. how do we get from registered hackers to business value? Now, where, where I focus in the garage is I mainly focus on helping projects after the hackathon move forward uh, mm -hmm. in the company. And we've learned over time that that requires sponsorship. So mm -hmm. it, it needs somebody in the company 
to lend their authority to help make the project real. And we found sponsorship comes in a few different flavors, uh, that a few different roles that all need to be present. But I'll just say this. After all this time thinking about it and slicing and dicing it, I realized, ah, my middle metric is sponsored projects. So registered hackers is kind of acquisition for us. Sponsored projects is activation. Activation, nice. And our proxy for revenue is business value. And when I looked at it, I was like, well, there are other types of business of things that can accrue to business value. We could have cultural value accrues. We could have increased organizational capabilities through, um, through learning and training and, and so on. These are other things that could accrue. But for me, where I'm mainly focused, and I sometimes draw in the other things because I know other parts of the garage are focused on those. But for mine, for mine, when I shared it with my manager, registered hackers at the top, sponsored projects in the middle, and um, business value at the bottom. Nice. And and what's the bottom? Know, what was the bottom? One of the things that Eric Reese always talked about is, um, I remember when I was talking with him about innovation accounting. He's like, you don't know exactly how to measure the last things. You have to measure the first things, and then at each step of the way. You figure out how to measure the next thing. Once you have the thing before that really cemented, you get more clear on what the next thing you need to measure is. So uh, that that said, number of registered hackers, we know how to do it. Number of sponsored projects, I know how to measure that as well. It's hard to get a clear answer sometimes, but I know how to measure it. Realize mm -hmm. that there needed to be an intermediate metric, which is how do we go from registered hackers to number of projects that they've created. Mm -hmm. And then how do we go from projects mm -hmm. to sponsored projects? And so needed to figure out, well, what are those translations? And so uh, then, you know, we have projects, we have projects that have actually submitted a video, which is our way of saying that they, they pitch it. And then from going to there to figure out if they got sponsored. And then I looked at it as if a project is sponsored, some executive has made a decision that this is worth at least a certain amount of money to the company. Otherwise, they wouldn't have invested their time and effort and resources and so on in moving it forward. So I put just a baseline number. Let's assume that it is worth at minimum this, and you know the sky is the limit. It could you know it could be uh, could be anything for the company. So I'm like, mm -hmm. let's just for now in our models make it a proxy that it will be just that number, uh -huh. and. Like And so I just put just a million dollars. Let's assume every sponsored project is worth at least $1 million to the company, which I think is ex extremely conservative mm -hmm. uh, to put that on. Now, all, we all I have to do now is figure out how do we maximize the number of sponsored projects. And I can see how that, how that flows through our system. And that's where our bottleneck is on... Mm -hmm on helping projects get sponsored. And so no matter how many new projects or how many new registered hackers we add to the top of the funnel, if we are not investing more resources in doing the activities that we know increase the number of sponsored projects, it, it doesn't matter. It's all, everything else is throwaway if we care about that bottom line of, of uh, you know, uh, the middle line of sponsored projects and the bottom line of business value. 
and therefore you need to have a um, the better you can pick what project has a good chance to get sponsored and what doesn't that's probably very important well it it helps us uh, right so then then we could pick projects based on what we think are likely to get sponsorship mm. that said you could probably you could probably already start seeing uh, a little bit of the failed logic here if we're only selecting projects likely to get sponsorship we might mit and we're only measuring every project as the same amount of value like yeah we might be missing some of the big ones yeah. and mm -hmm. you know for the easy ones yeah uh, but realizing that we have that bias and that the system has that bias yeah uh, we just have to factor that into our decision making with principles. So mm -hmm. with principles, it's like we still go after the biggest things that can make the most impact. We'll figure out how to measure the the business value later, mm -hmm. uh, but let's not over optimize for sponsored projects. Let's still go after ones that we think are going to have the biggest business value, and we'd figure out how to model that later. And we did, right? Like we figured out it didn't take too long once we built that model to do it later because. You know, you gave us you gave us a great system there, and that we could use. Uh, so it already uh, had an impact on that number, Monte Carlo. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> this led to me getting a new title. Yes. Yeah. So I I went from being the director of entrepreneurship at Microsoft to now I'm the director of business value. You know, at the at the garage. Yeah, that's amazing. That's an amazing outcome. That's super pleasing. Yeah. At what point? At what point do you do your sponsors want to see numbers? Like, do they want to see uh, financial calculations before the sponsorship, or not? Or is it a mix? Or is it something I shouldn't ask? Or <laughs> uh, honestly, it depends. It depends on the sponsor. Mm. Uh, lots of sponsors make decisions in different ways, um, which you know is argue. You know it. It has its pros and cons, uh, but sponsors should play to their strengths. So the reason they often got to prom promoted to high positions is because they have a good system for making decisions. And um, uh, though I do think there is opportunity for systematizing uh, how decisions are made, though yeah. I what what I've seen is it's a combination of three things: how decisions are made, uh, the merit of the project based on what we've what we've learned fits in, uh, you know, through experimentation. Um, so merit. Second thing is alignment. Uh, alignment to the company matters a ton. Uh, the company strategy and so on, like a project that has a ton of merit and can make a lot of money, but if it doesn't align to the company's, yeah, you know, vision, mission, strengths, and so on, like is something not not to invest in by the company, um, and then I'm seeing more there, you know, like, and then the third thing is, is harder to describe. It is, uh, but it is, um, I'll put it this way. It is based on the judgment of the executive, right? Like those are the three things you have to come in with the merit. You have to come in with the alignment and you have to come, come in with some judgment call that the executives make. And a big part of figuring that, and, and a big part of that is, figuring out how they make decisions. So uh, we often have, 
and, and so this is one of the big differences between VPs and VCs, you know, vice presidents and venture capitalists is, yeah. um, is, you know, VCs usually have a very clearly known, well-defined investment thesis yeah. that you can yeah. play to. VPs, they don't call it an investment thesis, right? Yeah. You have to figure out how their decisions are made. And they're not modeling their decision-making process based on other VPs uh, yeah. or because there's not like a specific industry here. There's not like this, you know, accountability to LPs like um, uh, and so on. It's it's instead their their own process, and you have to figure that out. Like where where their funding comes from, uh, who advises them, how information flows in and out of them, uh, and then a lot of this they end up documenting in a charter for their business, and so the charter ends up being a much more uh a much more richly defined version of an investment thesis but their executives are trying to solve a problem for the business and just like i was saying i needed to insert myself into model how my manager sees things and think about what i'm doing as strategies from my manager's point of view every good vp is doing the same thing for their manager's point of view or from the company's point of view. So they're trying to figure out how the CEO models the business yeah. and yeah. everything that they're doing is part of the strategy from the CEO's point of view. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for, yeah. So succinctly um, putting that together for the listeners again. And for me, yeah, I was just, yeah, I had that conversation yesterday. Like got to find out what your manager's goals are. If you want to, if you want to make an impact here right now, I th it's going to be very hard otherwise. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think that's one of the um, figure out your manager's goals. I think a lot of people figure that out with their manager. It's a little bit harder with a sponsor because you often right. don't know. Right. So a lot of people make the mistake. And they might not want to open up about it either. If you just say, Hey, right. Yeah. Hmm. They might not, or they might not have the time or, I, I think a lot of it, a, a lot of people will open up more about it than you think. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot, a yeah, lot yeah. of sponsors yeah, yeah. will, yeah. but not a lot of people come in and at a 30 minute meeting with an executive and start asking them questions. Um, yeah. 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 Flip it around. That's a good one. Yeah. You should, right? Yeah. Try it out. Mm, run an <laughs> and, and that's what works well is like, I read this amazing, uh, th this book that had this um, just great con concept. It was called Ditch the Pitch. And it's about having a persuasive conversation, but I'm calling it a, I call yeah. it a compelling conversation for other, yeah. for other reasons. It's like figuring out from your manager's point of view or the potential sponsor's point of view, what is their mm -hmm. charter? What do they care about? What are they trying to solve? And then figuring out how do you help their strategies, right? Like it's what can you do to help their charter? And those are the people who are successful at getting supported. The people who come in and say and show somebody else how they support their strategies. And I know salespeople are pretty good at that these days uh, compared to like the old sales style, which is you talk about all the benefits of what you have to offer. Yeah. But instead of understanding, here's what you have to offer. And you ask a lot of questions and so on. And then so when you understand it, say, ah, here's how my product can, like, here's how my idea can help you. And I find it quite interesting. So when when I talk to 
innovation leads or people who work in innovation like hands-on as well and they say look it's like basically doing customer development you're just not yeah. you're just doing it internally you're doing it with with the sponsors you're doing it just like you just do what you already know just find comfort in that that you know how to do it right you can make it as systematic or non as unsophisticated as you like but at the end of the day you go out and you collect information and you try to uh, decrease your uncertainty. You try to empathize if you like, see it from their perspective and what are their goals and see how, you know, where you fit in and Absolutely. how you can make yeah. a difference. Yeah. Sponsor development. Sponsor development. Title of the podcast now. Let's <laughs> <laughs> good to figure it out. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's also the, it's also the should. I, I just thought a bit earlier in the conversation, how does it happen? How should it happen? I guess circling a bit. Uh, way back to the beginning of the yeah of the i guess question. you gotta think of the word should like what, what do you mean by that like is it mm. a what is, is your like ideal scenario should, or is it a uh, what is most effective right and well we shouldn't sacrifice the moral the moral ask to to maximize let's say profit if that's what it is oh well, yeah sure from I the point of view of together. ethics but yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, but like you know, I I guess you're right. Like at the end of the day, it's about. I mean, usually, it's about increasing profitability. But yeah, I I think uh, here, here's here's the thing with should. I think the word comes off as like judgmental, right? Like you're you're judging something. Whereas mm. what we want to try to get to is more evaluation. So, and you need to be, you need to define the word should more crisply so you could take a more analytical evaluative process to it yeah i get but isn't then the question just from your point of view like to the best of your abilities today ed like what is your what would be the best system that you could think of rather to uh, to measure innovation when like and i guess you know different context for answering this question like we usually break it down by people's capabilities measuring projects or the, the, the funnel, so to say, you know, what you've done. And then you can go further, sort of further up in the hierarchy. That's how I make it more tangible when we talk about the topic. Yep. And then how should yep. you do it? And you're right. I think just pretending to know everything, being cocky about it, it's it's not that easy. One may say it's one of the the biggest challenges maybe that large corporations face today. How do we better measure innovation in order to manage it at scale? Like, as you say, like, how do we have that trade? There you go. So you have just defined a should. How do we better do it in order to manage it at scale? Like, ah, okay. That is more useful yeah. than a should. And it's just, because and it's just mine, right? Back. Yeah, and it's yeah. just mine. Like, obviously, it's not... Yeah. It's probably my you may want to call it bias or desire or what i think is reasonable right and i think it goes back to the i think it goes back to the tree just having one successful project is is great um well done but for an organization for shareholders for people impacted by a non-for-profit organization for um citizens impacted by what governments do it doesn't mean that much or not as much as having a reliable tree or engine or system that can more reliably 
produce value, whatever it is. And it could be the reduction of carbon emission. If that's yeah. if that's the strategy. Yeah. I think that that's a big key. A big key to the whole thing is just unpacking the word should. Hmm. Like, as in, how should we do it? Like, well, to what end? And you said, like, to scale innovation, scale innovation, or, uh, or handle it at scale. And but there might be yeah. other goals. Like, you might yeah, be yeah. in order to empower everybody in your company to innovate, or it might be to. Uh, I don't know, focus innovation on one part of the company or to solve the next big challenge we uh, that we have in the company or to double down on the current challenges or on the current businesses that we have in order to help those grow. The garage program, like that you, yeah, that you model your program. So, you know, how how do we Gosh, do that? Yeah, I mean, like the that's, biggest insight that's for me, model it from the point of view of, of like my my manager or like the business and how my stuff is strategies in the larger and the bigger picture. I'm like, Whoa. Mm. Yeah. Funny. Like makes me wonder if you should like touch on the first. So the, the innovation accounting program goes, starts with a storyboarding module. And, um, it's, it's a funny one. Like people don't think that would be first, you know, they think of like uh, starting with numbers, um, or feeling very confident at the module because like, oh, I don't know. I know how to do storyboarding or I don't I know how to do customer journey mapping. You know, I've done that for years and then it becomes kind of challenging often for people. And once they threw with it, many then appreciate it a lot. And like, oh, you know, like, like we had a BA who was like, couldn't get over how valuable that thing was, you know? I, I, like it's obvious to me that any any storyboard or user journey is a funnel because people can drop out at any point and you're losing people. Like I know that because I've been doing I've been in this business for a while. It's not a it's not not as obvious for, for everyone. Uh, the one thing I think was like sort of missing in the course is like we did that thing and then the funnel thing on different weeks, uh, just following videos, but. There wasn't a connection in the videos. It didn't say like, like, hey, start with your storyboard and make your funnel and, sh and shape it to this. Or, oh, now that you have your funnel, now compare it to your storyboard. It was a sort of like from scratch, you're funneling. And it's like, hold on. Why didn't you have me bring the storyboard in? Okay. I, so I'm just so biased. Like, I'm so like, it's hard for me to, I'm, I'm really trying to understand that. Maybe let me. One yeah. step back, and then I'm trying to understand yeah. this. Um, just for the listeners, it's it, it's not always a funnel, and then it gets really hard, right? Because some sometimes you're you know you have a you're selling to one person, or it's more about a process improvement and things like that. But you know, I want to stop myself not talking too much about this module now. But let's let's go definitely with assuming it's it's a funnel. It's a it's a it's a B2C approach. That's sort of the easiest way, maybe, to to make people understand what we're even talking about right now. Because like you and I have been through this a few times, you know. Um you took you took the you took the program. Uh, you've been part of the program. Just trying to make sure we're not losing people completely. Um so storyboarding tries to or asks 
participants to really understand what the customer behaviors look like like what are the inputs and outputs of what you're want to model in the future so you know like if it's a funnel let's say it's an app or something like how many how do people discover your app how do they how many download it how do many people actually then install it and all the subsequent behaviors afterwards right um in this example i have i'm, I'm trying to like what we do next is we're actually not jumping straight to a spreadsheet. What we're doing next is we we do a visual business model, we call it. So in an example of a funnel, that's literally a triangle. And we say, you know, a thousand people come in the first month, like according to your storyboard, it's just one person doing it. Now let's imagine a thousand people doing it. For the sake of argument, a thousand people come in in what time period? That's also very important to figure out at that point. Let's say monthly, right? For Twitter, it may be daily, whatever you want to measure and you want to model. But let's say monthly is quite typical. Um, and then how many people then actually you know come to your website and download it and so on, so on. And you have these, and that's how the funnel goes down. And then we take the numbers that we have. Usually there are no cost in it, but at least the upper funnel and then we transform that into the basic business model before the monte carlo part to totally jump the gun right now sorry for everybody who feels thoroughly lost already so in that <laughs> i don't know and we could we could even cut it but i like now I'm trying to understand you're saying between after so now you've done the storyboard and then it felt disconnected from the next part yeah just um mm -hmm. The way the course was delivered as this like set of videos that I followed, the like there was the week we I went through the storyboarding stuff, and then the next week it was like visually doing the funnel. Yeah. Uh, but there was there were no steps in the visually doing the funnel where I was asked to refer back to the storyboard I had created. It was like gotcha. they were they were like Okay. The way the material was delivered to me, they were both standalone things. Yeah. That's correct. And I just think transitions could uh could help there, could be smoother. That's correct. Uh well done. Yeah. Um thank you. I mean, not well done. Thank you. That's um yeah, that's true. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. There we go. You know, we need <laughs> we need feedback guys we're not going to improve on <laughs> no, we're not going to improve on yeah. that was something that i've learned yeah you know, the transitions thing is something that i learned a few years ago i learned it in writing and then i started learning and speaking and then almost everywhere it's like transitions matter so much like mm. being very explicit about the transition happening uh, even even as a parent, like uh, you know, your kid's playing with blocks. You want to get them to eat, right? Like, how do we transition them from blocks to eating? Ah, oh, nice one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not good at that at home. Maybe when I'm thinking about it. Sorry, I, preparing I like preparing like, that... and I think I'm bad at like I'm not necessarily preparing enough. For the Are next you an step, engineer? Rather. No. Oh, okay. Because I think transitions are are hard for engineers, especially people who who code. 
because geez, if you code like, you know, like a curly brace is a transition. That's all you need, right? You don't need like, like all this setup. Done. <laughs> Get over your emotions. <laughs> and there's a symbol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for for people, it needs to be like, oh, wait, what? Where's the segue? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean you're just playing? We're going in a cano. We're leaving. This should have yeah. been clear. Yeah, it was clear to me for three days. Oh, I should have yeah. told you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. And it hits me in the face all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also quite good with like changing on the spot. Like I'm just very, very far, you know, on the extreme. Like I can just no. like change a plan just like that, no problem. Like it doesn't no. Yeah, I've got no Yeah. I know for some people it's really hard, obviously, you know, it's like yeah. like more structure and yeah enjoy, enjoy that more being able to plan and find that safety where i'm like yeah i literally could have changed countries you know in the past and it wasn't, wasn't a big deal sort of yeah <laughs> let's move on let's move on sort of. <laughs> talking about transitions i had the idea of asking these three questions and the initial idea was like i just asked these three questions in the beginning of the podcast and then maybe we do something else but they may end up making up the entire podcast as a base so let's see how long have we been recording now um roughly it doesn't show me the time but it's it's becoming a weak transition oh yeah look do you have a do you when do you have to stop or would like to stop because we're already uh, over the i have about initially booked time i will need to stop in 22 minutes yeah perfect so let's aim for maybe 15 or so and then we can don't have to run. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. What up? What else? Is All right. To design. So design of yeah. I've got a you know, <laughs> designing a very smooth transition right now. <laughs> so so coming to the third question, I would like to uh, ask you today is, what is the biggest blocker to innovation in large organizations? The biggest blocker to innovation in large organizations. Um, I think it, like the, the obvious answer is, you know, it depends on the organization, but that like doesn't say anything. Um, I think it depends on it in a series of phases. So I think organizations go through different phases into how well they are able to handle uh innovation and adopt innovation. Um, and let, let me set it up. Um, let me set it up with, uh, there's this, um, there's a change management, change management guru, John Cotter. Have you heard of him? His, uh, his main work was a paper called Leading Change. And then that was his first book, Leading Change. He's popularized like the term, the burning platform and, and other things like that. A few years back, uh, he wrote a new book based on some research he did called Accelerate. That talks about how like essentially you could accelerate innovation within, uh, within organizations. And uh, he, he spell he spells out this like really cool structure that I like that. Most organizations begin as 
like a network. So there's usually, you know, one, two, three people, maybe they're in a coffee shop or in a garage, you know, hence the metaphor of the garage uh, or, you know, a dorm room, whatever it happens happens to be, and they all they all kind of get to know each other. And as you're adding more and more people onto the company, sort of everybody knows each other uh, in the organization, or almost everybody does. And it's almost informal how communication happen, happens into that. And so it's like this, it's just like networked. And at some point, uh, and actually while you're networked, let's think of a two by two where you have leadership by management. So when you're networked, you often have a lot of leadership, but maybe not as much management. And at some point you become holding to stakeholders or shareholders or something where you need Mm -hmm. to have leadership and management. So -hmm. what a company often does, or an organization often does at this point is they add in a system for management. And that often describes how people interact with each other. And often a hierarchy is what comes into place. So these people who were previously uh, like kind of disconnected and networked are now put into a hierarchy. And so now you can have leadership and management. You're like, hey, this is great because leadership with no management, you could be fast, adaptive and innovative, but you're usually kind of chaotic. And then leadership plus management, management brings in your like well-run, which means you're like timely and orderly and predictable and all that stuff while still with leadership, fast, adaptive, and innovative. Now, what ends up happening over time is as that organization can grow and grow and grow, the hierarchy becomes the dominant form of organization and the network drops out. So you have the hierarchy. As the network drops Mm -hmm. out, you lose fast, adaptive, and innovative. People Mm -hmm. end up being, being siloed and so on. And so as you lose the leadership that you got from from a network, uh, you stay the well-run, like predictable and safe and secure and all that stuff from having management, but you lose fast, adaptive, and innovative from uh, from uh, the uh, from the leadership you had from the network. And so, what a lot of companies do at this time is they try to they try to reverse it. They try to either augment the hierarchy in order to get back to having leadership. Um, Like maybe you put on, put in tiger teams or you put in like an innovation, like group of the company. Like here's Mm -hmm. the, here are the people in the company who are allowed to innovate. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that, uh, that they do is try to buy ideas either through M&A or through bringing consulting. And then a third thing they try to do is something called strategic planning, which is actually an oxymoron as a, there's a great Harvard Business Review article about that. Strategies are often about taking risks and taking bets about things you don't know in about in the future that mm-hmm. you're you know you're making a like a prediction about how things are going to plan out whereas planning is about mm-hmm. let's do something that's repeatable that we know works and so on. And so strategic planning is an oxymoron. So, and neither one of the none of these things work. What does work? And so what does work is bringing back the network and that this is what gets to the biggest blocker of innovation uh, in a company, which is a hierarchy without leadership, without uh, leadership uh, that can spontaneously occur anywhere within the company. 
that are aligned to big opportunities that the company faces. And how does that work? How do you make that happen? How do you make it happen? You have to bring the network back. And what John Cotter found is that companies that are able to bring the network back to over 10% of, uh, of the company's population, they get enough leadership back in their company to stay fast, adaptive, and innovative at the same time as being well-run. So one of the biggest blockers to innovation in the company is everything that has happened at the company uh, that limits the network. Yeah. So that's one of the, that's the main strategy we employ at the garage. And the main reason for the garage is to empower everybody in the company, wherever you are at every corner in the company, to be innovative. And that's why I talk about the soil. So you have to invest in this soil and this culture. And by the way, if you if you go over this whole show, I've been like sort of I've gave that's all the, the hints to what you have to do. Uh, that's the mushroom. Maybe you need a mushroom analogy for that one. You know yeah, how that so, that yeah. invisible that invisible network underneath and the like these huge mushrooms, and then you have a little you know a little product popping up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the, the mycelia, right? That are, that's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, it could yeah. be a whole mountain like this is like apparently there's some of the largest or organisms, and you can barely actually um, see them. Mm -hmm. so uh, you so that's usually what is uh the, the biggest blocker is that the company is not set up in a way to enable the networking to happen that align to big opportunities and then have ways to move them forward okay so there are a few different few different parts here usually all three of them are missing in phase one i i you know, I mm -hmm. when you first asked this question, I talked about there there were going to be some mm -hmm. phases. So in phase one, usually you're missing all of them. You're you're missing the network. You're missing the alignment to the big opportunity, and you are missing a pathway to move it forward once a big opportunity exists. Mm -hmm. um, in phase two, you've brought in a network and you've sort of empowered everybody to work toward a big opportunity but you're usually missing pathways forward. So you're in a more ad hoc state as an organization. Um, and there are some of the, there are several reasons why you're, why you're missing these things. Uh, like for instance, you could be missing these things because uh, your leadership are problem solvers instead of solution seekers. And that leads to having a not invented here mindset. So leaders in the hierarchy don't look uh, outside of their silo for different ideas. But if if you're instead able to switch leaders into from problem solving to solution seeking, then they're happy if the solution comes from anywhere. And that that opens them up to uh, listening to the network and so on. Now what you, now what's needed in phase two, which is you know one of the big hindrances to innovation in phase two is, not having known pathways for your innovators, not having ways that uh, if the hierarchy mm. is one operating system for your organization and the network is another, not having an interface for people operating the network to bring ideas into the hierarchy. And so you have to create mm. known pathways for that and known, known ways for those to be successful. Uh, 
Nice. And um, what are the main blockers in three is probably uh, shortage of funding and investing and uh, or it's usually uh, companies over invest or under invest at that phase. Like over investing in one project in particular and not spreading enough and right. Not like somebody likes phase. an idea and they're like, hey, let's put a hundred people on it or two hundred people on it. Mm. And then other projects you don't you don't give them anything, right? Mm. And instead of a you know, like maybe a wiser approach is you give everybody an equal amount and then you have stage gates to where uh they're earning the path forward based on like a market mm. knows best mentality instead of a manager knows best mentality. Mm. Nice. That was a great answer. Glad you liked it. Yeah, I also like the three phases, right? So the question is tricky, as you point out right away. And yeah, I do appreciate that. Like I could going forward, just sorry, just hijacking this for myself. I could ask, um, what is the biggest blocker to innovation in your organization? I'm just wondering mm. if, yeah, do, you know, do you want to leave it broader or not? You know, sort of give people, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just uh, going to reflect on that. Mm. But um, what you provided right now is like the phases organizations go through yeah based on that research so is that what um um john john cotter talks about is that his take on organizational maturity or is that is that some from somewhere else i uh i did a mashup of like john cotter and uh, of john cotter's accelerate and jeffrey moore's zone to win i took a little bit from it without explaining his whole model i took a little bit from the startup way by eric reese i Mm. i brought in some of the phases from that and mm-hmm. then i brought in some of my own experience um, yeah yeah perfect yeah thanks for explaining that yeah funny yeah i sometimes think like who who do we work with and we put i kind of put organizations into different phases when it comes to their innovation journey um and i can this is this is good for me right now to to further understand that yeah you know, where sometimes in the beginning there's all that hype and very little structure. Um, and then there's often a crash. And then there's like, how can we do this again a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. systematic? And that's usually where we, that's usually where we sit best and have the best experiences. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Ed. That was an amazing podcast. Oh, you're welcome, Ali. I really enjoyed and he asked great questions. And I like uh you have so much to, to add in from what you've seen. It's it's fun. Oh, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. As always, you will find all the resources to this podcast, everything we mentioned in the show notes. You'll be able to get uh, in touch with Ed with all the links to I guess Twitter and LinkedIn and his website, uh, also the show notes. So please reach out to Ed. Thank you, Ed. Cheers. Thank you. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Ed and I spoke about the Innovation Accounting Program, where we first met. In this program, we've collaborated with our partner, Chromatic, founded by Tristan Cromer. 
and was part of the program through Chromatic Directly. If you're interested in participating yourself, you can either visit Chromatic's website at chromatic.com or our website at innovationmetrics.co. Of course, you can also find the links in the show notes. Lastly, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would very much appreciate it if you can recommend it to someone else. Thank you.